Praise God. You may remain standing uh, for our sermon scripture. Uh, God's word is given to us this morning from Hebrews 3, verses 1 through 19. You'll find this in your bulletins as well. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The very word of our Lord. Please pray with me. Father God, our hearts uh, can be easily deceived by sin, we know. But we also know that you are supreme. And so now, Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself and strengthen us by the reading and the preaching of your word. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would give Pastor Andrew clarity of mind and speech and heart as he delivers your truth. And similarly, Lord, by your spirit, may our hearts be softened to hear, to receive, and to apply the message that you have for us this morning. And we pray all these things in your name alone. Amen. You may be seated. Well, here we are, back in Ephesians, or back in Ephesians, that was last series, back in Hebrews, a uh, chance to look at this, uh, a book that very much takes up themes of the Advent as we've been seeing the, the coming of Christ, His incarnation, He is the 
the word that was spoken, the, the living word, the final word. He is our champion who was made a little lower than the angels, who took on flesh and blood. All of these themes that we are talking about as we walk through this uh, Christmas story and we come to the incarnation. And remember that this was a sermon from verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to near the end of chapter 13. This is a single sermon that was preached to a congregation who was very weary. Uh, we read about that in Hebrews chapter 12, 12 in our litany. You know, the drooping hands, the weak knees, uh, feeling lame, hoping for healing. This is a congregation who was struggling to, to hang on. They, they felt like they were drifting away in the midst of all the persecution. This was a congregation who not only felt it from the outside, but was aware of it from the inside. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I was thinking about Ada Habershon. Uh, I'm guessing very few of you know who Ada Habershon is, if I just give you that name. She lived 1861 to 1918. She was born in a Christian home uh, to Christian parents. She was very involved in ministry. She hung around with people like uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, D.L. Moody, Ira Sankey. Um, she taught on various things, was invited to speak and teach in various areas, teaching a lot on Old Testament uh, prophecy, typology, those types of things, miracles, she, she had a vast array of things. But she also knew her own heart. And, and she said things like this. She said, when I fear, my faith will fail. When the tempter is about to prevail, I, I, I could never keep my hold for my love is often cold. It's interesting that, that such an accomplished Christian, whatever that means, uh, such an accomplished Christian could be so honest about just her heart and, and where she is. Like, when I fear my faith would fail. Do you ever feel that way? I know I do. Uh, when my love, especially my love for Christ, grows cold. It's kind of frightening to think about, but there's truth in that. And, and, and that's what this, this writer to the Hebrews is really writing or preaching. Remember, we said it's a sermon. He's, he's preaching to this congregation, and he says, I, I know who you are. I know where you are. And, and I want to encourage you, but we have to talk about these things. We can't pretend that we're all glory, glory to the King of Kings all the time. I mean, we certainly feel that, but we are glory and we're despair. We are praise and we're bemoan. We are uh, all of the various emotions all of the various responses. So what's the antidote? Well, the antidote from the beginning is, and you probably can repeat it with me, it's look at Jesus. 
consider Jesus. You know, from 1-1, he says, you know, various times and in sundry ways, God has spoken to us through the prophets, but now he has spoken to us through the Son. And the Son is the gem that he is going to hold before us in various ways, and we're going to be asked to consider Jesus. Jesus, who is greater than the word of the prophets. Jesus, who is greater than the angels. Jesus, who in this passage is greater than Moses. Like if you were going to ask a group of uh, uh, Jewish background Christians, who is the person that most epitomizes Judaism? Uh, Like if you were to ask Americans, who is the person that most epitomizes what it means to be an American? You know, we might say George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or something like that. I don't know who you would say. Uh, But if you were to ask a Jew, they would say Moses. Moses is the emancipator. Moses is the lawgiver. Moses is the prophet. Moses is the one who, when God was ready to destroy the people in Exodus chapter 32 and 33, said, take me instead. Moses is the one who the Israelites really identified with. But what the preacher is saying is Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses, just as the builder of the house is greater than the house itself, just as the son in the house is greater than the servant. You see those there in the first six verses. So, in the same manner, Jesus is greater than Moses, though Moses was faithful. Uh, The writer says that. His his purpose is not to diminish Moses. The purpose is not to diminish angels or to diminish the prophets. He's actually affirming like everything that they said, everything that they were pointing to was true. It's just that Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the greater than. Jesus is the one that we must consider. Have you considered him? Are you considering him? You know, that's, that's the invitation that we have. Really, every time we, we come to worship, this is what is being held before us. Consider Jesus. Think about him. Dwell on him. You know, turning him around in your heart, in your mind, looking at the different facets of, of who he is. Consider whether he is greater than that thing that you've given your allegiance to in your life. Consider whether he is more fulfilling than what you are actually hoping for. Consider Jesus. And when we consider him, what we'll learn today is that there are a number of things that begin to fall into place in our thinking, in our hearts, in our lives. A number of things that for people who are tired, For the drooping hands, the weak knees, the people who are thinking about letting go of the rope, the people that are thinking about going back to Judaism because it's more tangible and I can at least make a sacrifice, I can do something rather than just holding on to Jesus, we're going to find out that he gives us everything that we need to hold fast. What do I mean by that? Three things. One, we have a community. Secondly, we're strengthened by the living word. And lastly, in our holding fast, we are held fast. Let's work our way through this text here. 
First of all, we find when we come to Jesus and we surrender our lives to Him, because that's ultimately what the preacher is inviting us to. It's not just simply considering Him, but it's, will you surrender to Jesus? We're going to talk about that a little bit more. We find that we are made into a community. You see that in verse 6. Verse 6 says uh, that Moses is, uh, or Jesus is greater than Moses as Moses was the builder of God's earthly house But Jesus is the builder of God's heavenly house, and we are that house. Now, we're pretty familiar with these themes because we just just studied Ephesians, and, and Paul there in Ephesians says a very similar thing, that when we come to Jesus, we are made into, we're united to Him, and we are uh, we are the manifestation of His body. We are His house, His building. Peter talks about us being living stones, being built together. So this is all throughout the Scriptures. But the idea here is that you're not alone. Uh, when you come to Jesus, when you surrender your life to Him, you are given to a group of people. That's why, you know, as we come together on a Sunday morning or this evening when we come back at 6 p.m., just a reminder, uh, the, uh, we, we can recognize that if we are in Christ, we are truly bound together. We, we belong to one another. We are a community that... Uh, strives with and for each other. You see how the preacher does it in verse 12. Uh, he is exhorting the congregation, and this is just an example of what he's doing all throughout this. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be any among you that are evil, uh, of an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. He, he says, within the house, I have a role and as a preacher, I, this would be similar to me. You know, my role is to continue to call you back to the gospel, to continue to call you back to your life in Jesus, to continue to invite you to live there, to be there. And, and that's what he does. But then notice, he says, this is everybody's role. Verse 13, he says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. So he's saying that it's not just the preacher's job to exhort you, but you are to exhort one another. You're to function as a community because life is hard. And this is what I love about the Scriptures. The Scriptures do not put a veneer over our life. The Scriptures do not pretend like everything is easy. They know that life is hard. And and, and it looks at it unflinchingly, and it says, you're going to need help. You're going to need a community. You're going to need the house of God to come around you. And and he says, exhort one another. That's why, again, in, in 10... Uh, verses 24 and 25. So sometimes we think, oh, you know, this is a different chapter. These are different verses. This is a different area. It's all one sermon so that he's giving us. And so he keeps bringing these various themes back in. And some of you know what he says in chapter 10, 24, and 25. He says, uh, 
What does he say? I don't know. Some of you know. I apparently do not. Uh, He says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you find the day approaching. See, it's the same idea. You need each other. And that's why he says, you know, don't stop going to church. Like your presence... And and I'll emphasize here, your physical presence is needed there. Some of you know that, you know, one of the phenomena in our world post-COVID is that a lot of people have just fallen into the habit of watching church online. Uh, Praise God for those technologies. They're helpful for us, and there are times when we're shut in, and to be a part of the community, all of that is really great. But notice what the preacher is saying here to the people. He's saying, in the midst of your travail, the difficulty, the weariness, we sung about that in uh, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. In the midst of that, you need one another. And it's really important. I don't know who it's important for. Remember, I had a, a young woman who was just struggling with it. She was single, very intelligent, uh, just trying to figure out, this was in St. Louis, uh, just trying to figure out her life in the church and um, you know, the importance of being there. She believed all of these things. And that's one of the things that we talked about. I said, you know, I don't know who you're going to bless, but I know you bless me. And I know that your presence in our body is really important. When you're not there, it's different. It changes. We, we need you. And so that's part of what he is saying here is that we need each other. We are that kind of community. One of the books that was most impactful to me in 2023 was a book called How to Stay Married by Harrison Scott Key. It's a story of, and it's rough, it's raw. I give you that full sort of disclaimer if you to pick up the book and read it and you say, whoa, this is pastor's most influential book. But it's honest, it's gospel-centered, and it's true. And one of the things that both Harrison and his wife Lauren, whose marriage was rocked by an affair, and we say, how does that happen in the church? Well, it happens in the church all the time. I know this morning we have marriages that are struggling. You know, I know that we have men and women whose, whose minds are, are wandering into fantasy land and all of these different things. I know that we have young people who are thinking about sexuality and how do we work it. Like, it's, it's part of our life. Uh, so how is it that we keep going in a way that is faithful And there were a lot of things that they discovered uh, along the way, but one of the things that they discovered was how much they needed the church. Both Harrison and Lauren, who writes a chapter uh, in the book, say, we needed those people. And in fact, they say, if you want to protect your marriage, find those people. Uh, What did those people do? He talks about it this way. What did the church do for us exactly? They came when I called. We handed children to their spouses and and got in the car. They listened to news nobody wanted to hear. They sat with Lauren, who had the affair. Uh, They did not tell her that she was doing a bad thing and must now do this or that good thing to fix it. 
she was actually pretty familiar with the moral equations in play. They did not give answers, not at first, but they did the harder thing, and they listened, and they asked questions. What does it feel like to be her? And in the answering, Lauren's heart awoke to something. To know that people can see inside you and not revile you. This seemed to be surprising and a new variable to the equation. They hugged us. They fed us. We feed them. They feed our children. We feed theirs. They feed Gary, our dog, when we're out of town. And when they're out of town, this is really love. We feed their cats. All we're doing is feeding each other, basically, uh, with hymns and with prayers and sermons thrown in there to remind us why. This is the kind of community uh, that the preacher is saying you are to be to one another. This is the kind of community that we belong to, the body of Christ, the house of God, whichever metaphor you want to, to be. This is what we need when we're struggling because, let's face it, we all struggle. Secondly, it's a community that is built around and strengthened by the living word. This is, of course, what Key says as well. You know, we have the hymns and the songs and the sermons, you know, thrown in there to tell us why we're doing this, to keep calling us back to reality. Uh, and we see it here as well, especially as the preacher works through this. So verse 7 to me was really intriguing, and I invite you to think about just that opening phrase. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... Just stop there. There's a lot that we can learn from just that phrase. So, <clears throat> you know, we are the body of Christ, the house of God. Uh, as the Spirit says, therefore, so flowing out of that, therefore, what, what do you take from that? So the Holy Spirit. So here we have the introduction of the third person of the Trinity, uh, the third person of the Trinity has a role. Uh, when we talk about the Trinity, we're in deep theological waters. We recognize it's a mystery we can't fully explain. We do know that we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. These three are equal, um, and they have the same purpose, the same telos in terms of what they are about in our lives. But we also recognize that functionally they have a little bit different roles. So the Father calls. Uh, this is the simplest way to say it. The, the Son does the work of redemption uh, in entering this world, giving His life. And then the Spirit is the one <coughs> who applies it. Uh, or He, he kind of hooks us up. He's the utility man that comes along and hooks you up to the power. Uh, he opens our hearts. He, he makes the connections. And, and here, what the preacher is saying is that pay attention to what this Holy Spirit says. Not said, but he says. He, he continues to do this. So here, you know, the, the, the problem is I'm tired. I'm thinking of letting go of the rope. My hands are droopy. My, weeks, my knees are weak. What do we need to do? You need to be together considering Jesus, and you need to be paying attention. Your hearts need to be soft 
to what the Holy Spirit says. Now, notice where he goes with that. He takes us to Psalm 95, uh, a rather long quotation uh, from the end of Psalm 95. Earlier, we, we read the beginning of Psalm 95, uh, but then at the end, we have this warning of today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, where your fathers put me, God says, put me to the test. That is, they, they try to push the limits as far as they could go. And they saw my works, though they saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked. Or if you go back to actually Psalm 95, it says, I loathed uh, that generation. Uh, it's interesting in verse 9 in, in Greek, the, the word that's translated that here in verse 9 is actually this. And some of the translations preserve that. And he says, therefore, I was provoked with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Do you see what he's doing here? The Holy Spirit, who, who's one of his jobs is the inspirer of Scripture. He's the one that takes ordinary words and makes them holy. Uh, he, he makes this sermon holy. Uh, this Holy Spirit takes us back into the Old Testament and says, these words are really important for you now. I find that so interesting because here you have a story that took place roughly 1400 B.C. That's when the rebellion was. Uh, you have a psalm that was written roughly 1,000 B.C., so four or 500 years later. Then you have an application made in 70 A.D. Uh, to this church in Rome, this group of Hebrews. And now here we are in 2023 saying this same word uh, still has application to us now today. Why is it? Well, because the Holy Spirit says. The Holy Spirit is the one that has undergirded the Word from the beginning. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes and applies it to our hearts. And, and this is what we do sort of each week. This is why it's really important for us as a community to come together and hear God's Word because that is how the Holy Spirit works and, and teaches. It's really important for us uh, as individuals to take up God's Word, whether as pure individuals, you know, a time of reading the Scripture, thinking about the Scripture, mulling it over as families, to have the Scripture as part of our life, because it is, as the preacher will say later in chapter 4, verse 14, which again we'll deal with tonight, so another advertisement for coming back tonight, but he says the Word of God is living and active. The Holy Spirit says it's not something that's just dusty and old. It's something that's current and real and living and active. Is that your relationship with the Word? You know, this is one of the things that sometimes we have to believe into. You know, when we open up the Word, does it just seem like old stuff? Does it just seem like really hard? I, I get that. I mean, it, you know, this is our in and out. Sometimes the, the Word doesn't speak to us uh, very easily or very clearly. We really have to press into it. We have to work at it. Uh, but that's one of the things that 
we're invited to here is believe that the Holy Spirit is at work. He's saying, present tense, the Word is living and active. So that's an invitation for you to, to pick up your Bibles and, and to really engage the Word there as living and active and to do it today. Like, that's part of what the preacher is saying is, I know that you're struggling, but today, don't harden your hearts. Today, make sure that you're paying attention to these things. That The todayness, I'm still in point two, by the way, uh, the todayness of the Word is something that's really important for us, really uh, relevant for us. I, you know, I, I have a group of people that we study together and talk about the text, and one of the people uh, this week said about today that there's both an urgency and a patience in that word. You know, the urgency, like, don't wait till tomorrow, uh, but there is also a patience uh, that, you know, this today so far has been going on for some 3,500 years if you go back to the original time in the desert. You know, God is long-suffering. He doesn't count a day as we count a day. A day for Him is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. But it is going to end at some point. And so there is an urgency to what the preacher is saying. He's saying you need to think about what you are believing in, and you need to do it today. And that's the last thing that I want us to consider here is this idea of belief and unbelief, of holding fast, of being held fast, because that is what the preacher is, is calling us to. It is the application, right? You see it in verse 6, but Christ is faithful we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. He says it again in verse 14, for we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. In all of his warnings, in all of his exhortations, he is encouraging us to stay connected to Jesus. Don't drift away. Pay attention to Him. Consider Him. These warnings here, there have been a lot of discussion about these warning passages in Hebrews. How do they function? How do we think about them in light of perseverance of the saints? That idea that if you're once saved, you're always saved. Is He actually saying that a believer can fall away? All of those things. We'll talk about that a little bit. We'll continue to talk about it as we go throughout Hebrews. But here's the thing I want us to understand is the preacher is pleading with his people. This is not fire and brimstone. He, he's talking to a congregation that is tired and worn out. He's talking to a congregation that is thinking about uh, letting go of the rope. It's not heresy. It's, not, it's just we don't know if we can hold on anymore. And the preacher comes and he says, listen, there's nothing better out there. Hold on. Hold on to Jesus. Consider Him. Hold fast to this confidence that you know that you have. 
And, and this is where, you know, his, his comments here on believing and unbelieving come into sharp relief. You see that in a couple of different places. You see it in verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you in an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. We hear that and we think evil, unbelieving heart. We start to list through all of the biggies in terms of sin and we think that's what they mean. I don't think that's exactly what the preacher means here because he's talking to a congregation who is wanting to fall back into religiosity. They're not going into like broad sort of... Um, you know, profligate ways, uh, drinking, carousing. They're not doing that. They, they want to become sort of more religious. And he's saying, no, 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 that's, that's not the way. Uh, you, you have to keep believing in Jesus. He says it then in verse 19, we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. What, what was it for the generation of the wilderness people? It was the fact that when they saw the giants in the land, they said, we, don't, we, don't, we can't go there. God won't fight for us. But, uh, you know, Jacob and Caleb, uh, they said, no, God, God is bigger than them. And, and Jacob and Caleb entered that rest. The, the other generation, they went back and they wandered for 40 years, which incidentally, it's been about 40 years at the point of Hebrews being written that Jesus had died. I'm sure that fact uh, clicked in for the first audience. Uh, but they, they, the 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 exhortation is keep trusting Jesus. Don't let go of the rope. And the key thing here that we have to understand is that it is all about the object of who we're holding on to, not the act of holding on. Does that make sense to you? It's all about the object of who we're holding on to, not the act of holding on. Some of us hear this and, and you know, these strong warnings, we hold fast. They think, okay, I've got to get my life morally in order. I've got to stop doing this. I've got to stop doing that. Well, now you're being like the Hebrews. You're saying more religiosity is what God is demanding. And that's not the way that we get into heaven. Because we know that the object is Jesus, and Jesus is the one who has made purification for sins. Jesus is the great high priest, the great apostle and high priest in chapter 3, verse 1, who has entered into our world in order that he might become sin for us, in order that he might make satisfaction. So when he's saying, hold fast, he's saying, believe in him, surrender yourself to him, throw yourself wholly on him, don't trust in anything else. I've been reading a, a book called My Bright Abyss. It's by uh, a poet, author, very intelligent guy by the name of Christian Wyman. Ten years ago, he was um, diagnosed with an incurable cancer. And he was not believing at that time. He, he was grown up in a Baptist background, but he came to this abyss... Uh, he came to the end of who he was, 
And he recognized that in that abyss, he saw Christ, and he saw what he had really been hoping for. And he talks about sort of the relationship of belief and unbelief here. And I think it's helpful for us. I want to just draw a couple of things. When I think of the years when I had no faith, what I am struck by, first of all, Wyman said, is how little the lack disrupted my conscious life. I lived not with God nor with his absence. So he said, I, I in terms of God, I wasn't really believing in Him. I, I wasn't really disbelieving in Him, but I was holding Him at bay. Uh, I, was, I, I, was, I was putting Him at arm's length. I can see now, though, how deeply God's absence was actually affecting my unconscious life, how under me there was always this long fall that pride and fear and self-love at once protected me from and subjected me to. I, I know that this is complicated, um, happy to give you the quote if you are interested in it. Was the fall that I was taking place in, was that fall, was it belief or unbelief? Uh, both, he says. For when God's grace woke me up to his presence in the world and in my heart, it also woke me up to his absence. I never truly felt the pain of unbelief until I began to believe. He says a little later on in a different interview, he says, it's quite possible, perhaps even the norm, to believe in God but to lack faith, to lose awareness of his presence, to stop believing in him. Do you see what he's saying here in, in you know, admittedly a, a deep way? He's saying that when we when we believe in God, we are necessarily not believing in other things. But when we stop believing in God, we are necessarily believing in something else. So if you are here this morning and you have drooping hands and weak knees, and you are hoping that you know, your money or your success, your, your good name, or you're hoping that popularity in school uh, with your friends, you're, you're hoping that time with your family or your marriage or your kids or your grandkids, or you're hoping that just ease and comfort, all of these things, these are what are going to get you through. You're not actually believing, you're trusting in something else, and you're not actually resting in the finished work of Christ. And, and what, the, what the preacher is saying here is that this is your journey. This is all of our journey, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, hold fast to Christ. Keep trusting into Him, no matter where you are. And it is going to be, it is just as real for the 10-year-old as for the 94-year-old. You know, the, the challenge is always keep surrendering, trusting, believing into Jesus. Why do we say that the object is more important than the action? Because if we don't say that, we could misinterpret what Hebrews is trying to say to us. Hebrews isn't saying, get more Christian and be more secure. Hebrews is saying, hold on to Christ and know that you are secure 
because of his finished work. Listen to how the preacher comes back and sort of re-says this or restates this later on in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 10. He said, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, uh, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure power, pure water. So this is the same congregation that he says, stay away from that stuff, but now he's saying, draw near because you've been cleansed for that stuff. Uh, and then he says, verse uh, 23, let us hold fast the confession, same language, right? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. How can we hold fast? Why can we hold fast? We hold fast because we are held fast. We hold fast because he is faithful. We hold fast because we know that we are actually not believing in all of the other crap that the world offers. We are believing in the true, beautiful Word of God. We're believing in the, the, the righteousness of Christ. We're believing in His light come down to pierce the darkness. And that's what we are holding fast to. Back to Ada Habershon. Some of you may have recognized the hymn that she wrote. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Weak knees, drooping hands, look to Jesus. Consider him. He will hold you fast. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word and we thank you for what it means uh, in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would open us up wherever we are. Lord, I, I know that there are those that are, are holding fast to Jesus each and every day and just needed a, a jolt of encouragement. I know there are those who have wanted, been tempted to let go of the rope, and, and they need actually a piercing into the darkness to, to reawaken them to the possibility that we are loved and we are not alone in this universe and then there are those, Lord, whose hearts are hard and have been hard. Lord, we pray that there would be a penetration of those hearts even today, that there would be a recognition of the invitation today, today. You're so patient, so kind, so good. And yet we also know that there will be a tomorrow. And so, Lord, we pray that wherever we are on this journey, that you would draw us up and that you would bring us close to the heart of a Savior that loves us. Pray it in his name. Amen.